Hey everyone, I just wanted to quickly welcome you to The Noob Show, a podcast about humanizing technology. Today I'm joined by Lance Johnson, the Director Engineering and Cloud R&D from 8x8. We'll mostly talk about Kubernetes. It's a bit of a long one, but I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, welcome to the, the Noob Show, a podcast about humanizing technology. We'll see how good we are at that. Today is mostly going to revolve around Kubernetes, or Nubernetes, if you're new <laughs> to it. Name. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is, uh, this is the first, this is the, the, what, what are the maiden voyage? Inaugural. Is that the word? Inaugural. Yeah, there you go. So champagne, instead of champagne, I've got beer. I don't know if you're drinking anything. I've got a, I've got a brew free or die IPA, blood orange IPA. Nice. Yeah. San Francisco, 21st Amendment. San Francisco I don't think brew. you're allowed to do podcasts without some form of alcohol. I mean, <laughs> I don't know anyone. <laughs> For all you young aspiring podcasters oh, yeah, <laughs> who are like, you know, 13 and just got done playing Roblox and want a podcast, Coca-Cola is fine. But once you're of age, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we don't have sponsors. No one's like, it's like Bud Light's like, whoa. Is, is, it, is a TikToker going to be listening about Kubernetes? I should post a clip of this to TikTok. <laughs> I mean, I have like... Let me just check here. How many followers on TikTok do I have? Six. Damn. It's more than five. That's yeah. <laughs> I've posted two TikToks and they're pretty terrible. I can't <laughs> dance and I'm not going to try. Okay. So yeah, we have a bunch of topics. Most of them revolve today around Kubernetes. I'm Matt Gardner. I am a computer enthusiast, a crab cake aficionado a beer drinker and uh, i don't know a technologist or something the, word, the phrase you're looking for is renaissance man <laughs> renaissance man <laughs> yeah that that sounds good and i'm joined here by by lance johnson who is the king of devops the <laughs> the voice of devops i don't know what introduce voice of there. reason <laughs> the voice of reason that's a good one i i'm a big fan of devops i been trying to help people do the right patterns for you know forever so that's all that's what it's all about coincidentally at the moment we both well i shouldn't hold on can we edit that coincidentally we work at the same company not at the moment none of that like i have no plans of going anywhere especially if boss um, I'm, I'm i'm here for the long haul i don't know who's gonna listen to this but if you do listen let us know we'll buy you a beer if you live nearby or something and if you don't and you don't know where we live <laughs> that's fine too we do actually have two sponsors today but i'm not going to get to those because those are boring and we'll get to those later the first thing is i guess what i would ask you lance is i've got a series of questions about what is kubernetes and the first one is how would you explain kubernetes to a five-year-old oh that's awesome this is literally part of like my interview questions is it yeah i know i i put it i say kind of like just imagine, you know, when we were able to, like you were, you're at a social event and you got, you're just talking and you're on your way to the bar though. And okay, you just want you want to, and someone stops you for some reason and then, and they've heard about Kubernetes or whatever, you know, like, how would you explain it to them so you could get to the bar? Like <laughs> <laughs> the bar part, I don't always put in the interview. That one's kind of controversial, but that's better than the way I ask it. I like it. <laughs> It is a system that allows you to manage complex workflows, 
That's the shortest sentence I could give you. Okay. If you're five years old, five years what old, what is a workflow? Mm. So forget I that. Forgot about like, that. I forgot about the age group when you. Yeah, yeah. Can you? Yeah, I got a good okay. one. It's a playground. Okay. So a playground, you go there. It's got a slide. It's got swings. It's it's got to it, but the the type of play is not defined. But it helps that play happen very easily. So it's like it's the structure around what allows that play to happen. Bunch of playgrounds on the internet, and each one's different. different. <laughs> Every single one's custom almost. This playground has three slides. But there's usually a slide. There's usually some swings, like very common yeah. things that then the okay. kids decide what those that play is going to be, and that's the. So those would be like your objects. Yep. Okay, and then your cluster. Would your cluster be a playground? Yeah. It's a stretch, but you said five-year-old, so I know I'm just, trying to. The, I'm the whole thing is about together. The, the visual of a playground is common, and everyone can kind of even a five-year-old totally. can think of okay, I know what, that that that's definitely a playground, right? So it's yeah. it's that that's where the the common objects that allow you to then put those common objects together and and do the different types of workflows you're going to do on it. Yeah, I it's tough. To, it's tough. I always I always go back to like. I would like to give a big thanks and shout out to Ruby on Rails for making me understand that DevOps is a thing. And it was because when I first started writing, you know, like using Ruby on Rails, and this is like, I don't even know if Rails was version one. It was like two, ah, it was a long time ago. And I was doing like other, you know, PHP and Java and whatever else before. And then Ruby on Rails came around and seemed pretty cool. And you could write a blog in 15 minutes, yada, yada, yada. But the hardest thing about Ruby on Rails and the thing I hated, and I think everybody hated about it, was deploying it. Back in the day, to deploy a PHP application, this is, to me, this is, I know the drag and drop concept is dead now, or <laughs> should be dead, but yeah. the ease of going, I wrote some PHP, I wrote some whatever, and drag and drop it over an FTP client, and then it's running. Like, that is amazing. And you get to Ruby on Rails, and you're like, well, you can't do that because you got to like start up a server and you got to do this other stuff. And you're like, what am I doing? I can't just drag and drop and have it just run. You got to restart something or you got to do something. And that's where I learned a lot about DevOps. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think what, where I'm getting to with this, there is a point, <laughs> is that when Heroku came around, they realized that is a huge pain in the ass. Like you go from yep. dragging and dropping and done, and you don't have to think about DevOps. There's no concept of DevOps to what do I do? So they they were like, well, we'll just do Git push. And then then boom, like your Ruby on Rails application is deployed. Your, your Python thing is deployed. Like you don't have to worry about that. And I feel like we're slowly getting back there. And I may have jumped a few questions or a few things <laughs> topics ahead, but I feel like we're eventually going to get back there. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. Was was Heroku come? Did that come before Amazon EC2? Or I know S3 was the first one in 2004. Well, I know they're heavily based know. on it now, but like, just curious because they were really ahead of their time with the whole like, just describe what you want and then we'll figure it out. Like, we'll do everything in the background. It's a good question because it seems like people struggle a lot with a certain thing. And eventually some smart person who now is probably a billionaire is like, you know, I can solve that problem by inventing S3 or Heroku or this thing or that thing. And, and, and they still exist. Like, but mm -hmm. that's a good question. I don't know. I do remember my first time using S3 
again with the Rails app, and you're and and it's one of those those common like I want to be able to upload files. That's mm-hmm. a pretty common like if you're writing a blog and you want to put an image in the blog post, like you got to upload it somewhere. It seems to be a pretty common thing, but I don't know if it came what came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> but what's funny is is my introduction to DevOps. I mean, I think a lot of us were practicing it well before it got that nomenclature or that name. Oh, totally. right. We want to, we, we're, we're all lazy, right? That's the common thing is I don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again. So you want to, you're doing that, you're doing it wrong, right? So like, but my first one was related to Ruby as well, because when I really got into uh, Chef, yeah, which is based on Ruby and yeah. Puppet, actually, they're both based on Ruby. But so for, for, for the listener who, who maybe have no idea what that is, what is Chef besides someone who makes burgers? <laughs> so that so the chef and puppet and ansible to some to some degree is the same but like they're configuration management systems that have like a, a state defined and then a way to realize that state and so yeah. there's a convergence to some degree and everyone yeah happens. and so yeah but it's all about that was the i think the the you know infrastructure as code was i don't know if it came after that containers up i think i think that's where it first started to become coined that phrase yeah so so in other words for the for those who who maybe the listeners that don't completely understand there's a way to say i want my server infrastructure to look like this and i define it in a file with a specific format and and then you say go and it happens you get x amount of uh, servers with X amount of memory that run what's X, Y, and Z and that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was, yes. I mean, configuration management started with, you know, you know, get your server up and, and, and get an agent on there or allow me to get to it with SSH or whatever. And then I'll, I'll make the state realize the state that you want. Right. And so that's more just, it was the, the first part of it was more about just kind of managing a set of processes across a bunch of different existing operating systems and whatnot. And so the, yeah. the next level up from that, I don't yeah. know exactly where HashiCorp landed, but then the whole, the whole like, okay, well now we're going to define the fact that you want a compute process with this operating system on it instantiated and running, you know, that's where Terraform came along to kind of also include the layer of creating the, the, the actual box. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if anyone would argue this, but you want, you need it at this point, because you don't want to do the same thing over and over again. Like you don't want to say my server is at capacity. I got front page of Hacker News, the front page of Reddit or the front page of, I don't know, CNN or whatever it is. And I'm getting slammed or we signed some big contracts. I'm getting slammed. And so now I need to go spin up another server or I need to go spin up some more compute or whatever it is. And traditionally the old way was you would spend a ton of time doing that or you would do it ahead of time and be just just burning money until you needed it. And I think that is sort of how sort of partially evolved into where Kubernetes really helps in with like potentially auto scaling and those sorts of things. So we tried we used the playground analogy <laughs> to explain it to a five year old. Yep. I was gonna ask you how you would explain it to a noob. Like someone who I would just say someone with like lack of experience in something, right? And that wants to learn. That's that's where I would go. I'll give you a little right. foreshadowing. The next one after how would you explain Kubernetes to a noob will be how would you explain it to an executive? Interesting. Isn't that what we'd already did with the five year old? 
No. Everyone, Lance is now looking for a new job. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an executive, well, no, if they're that high up, man, no, they I'm don't. Kidding, they don't kidding. have a laptop anymore. They know delegation. They know people. You're right. You know, you're actually, that, that's yeah. what they should be doing. But I, I want to address the. I mean, like the the new the term noob. Like I think it's yeah. it's it's important to always be able to say and and be totally fine. And I've always been able to say it. It's like hell. I don't know. Like there's nothing wrong with that, yeah. right? Like everyone should be a noob to some degree in something, right? So, have you ever seen the show Arrested Development? Oh yeah, and you know how how um, we never really cared Tob- for Job. <laughs> Tobias Fionke is an ever nude yeah. or a never nude? Never nude. I, yep. I would say I'm an ever noob. Ever noob because nice. <laughs> because I I strongly think like I, I mean that's because. Um, you're constantly I'm always learning. trying. Yeah, constantly learning. I think I would I would go crazy if there was nothing new to learn or nothing new to do. I mean, I'm uh, a dad, so I've got <laughs> funny things yeah. that you know I'm trying to coach and direct and stuff like that. But on my whiteboard, I wrote this years and years ago. If you're not willing to learn, no one can help you. If you are determined to learn, then no one can stop you. And that's nice. been on my board for. 15 years. <laughs> I think that's true. I did not know anything up. about Kubernetes four years ago. I could probably not, I probably couldn't even spell it. And after <laughs> studying Roman, I studied Roman Latin and Roman history for many, many, many years. And I give me Kubernetes and uh, Greek, whatever, but still, uh, I never heard of it. <laughs> We've just yeah. went from the five year old. Now, how would I do it to a noob? So, and, yeah. and someone who is new to it, so they, have some frame of reference or they've used yeah. it or they've just read yeah, about let's it. Say, or... Let's say they've got a, a computer science degree or some sort of equivalent degree, mm-hmm. something so they've written code and they've maybe ran a website or something. Okay. I would say that it's, it's a system for orchestrating workflows, container-based workflows. So how would you, all right. So let's just, just it's still too big workflow. What's a, what did, what would you say a workflow is? Well, like this isn't an interview you know, question. I just <laughs> well, the half of these have been on my my interview list of questions. <laughs> Do I get the well? Job? I would How well would like the it? lamp stack. Everyone knows that was that's well before. Oh yeah, where I needed you know basically WordPress. Yes, yeah, yeah, stuff that you need to work. Whether it's a web front end, persistence, a database, you know the the three tiered stuff. You know, so you've defined. I need ten of the PHP servers that are all doing the web front end, and I'm going to stick it into a MySQL. Yeah, um, that that application i would consider a workflow okay so an application or some 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 piece of code that's running or something that's running yeah say. but the 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 other elevator pitch that i give for it it's like it's like the best of some of the the, the automation that's come out of the cloud like amazon being the big elephant in the room but you can put it anywhere so a lot of people have done, you know, automation for their workflows using Amazon Web Services and like, right. you know, CloudFormations or Ansible or whatever, but it's unique to Amazon, which is not a bad thing at all. <laughs> it is the big one out there. But like right. the cool part of Kubernetes is you can you can take that same kind of benefit of, of defining your workflows in an abstract way that has nothing to do with art. You don't even know that the, the developers we've lifted up into Kubernetes have no idea where they're running at this point. They just yeah. know that their 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 defined manifest that has their workflow definition, their logical yeah. definition. It, they just know it works, and it includes networking and load balancers. That's 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 stuff that's you know. Yeah, the way I think about 
this if for Noom is I, I always revert to Heroku because Heroku to me was such an amazing thing when I was doing Ruby on Rails because literally you get push. And then if you want to add a database or if you want to add Redis or if you want to add any of these million add-ons, I like to think of it as like the Heroku for Docker containers, like something like that. It's not quite as user-friendly. You still have to mm-hmm. write more code and define things like, you know, your objects and whatever. And that's why things like Helm exist. But I like to think of it as like, and there's no overall. But then, UI, but then, one step say. away from that, yeah, you're not you're not tied into Heroku. You're tied into just loosely right. Kubernetes, and that can run anywhere. And that's what's cool. Like you can run on a lot. I've got Raspberry Pis that are running it. Each one's its own node. And then, yeah, I mean, they're not very fast, but the still kind of <laughs> it's more of just a gimmick, right? <laughs> yeah. So, to an executive, why? Maybe the question instead of how would you explain it to them, it's like. Why would why should they care? Is it that Kubernetes can Kubernetes reduce cost? Can it reduce outages? I don't know. It it polish their shoes or whatever executives do these days. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I I just kind of empirically look at our experience mm. and like we went from we had a four hundred percent increase in the amount of deployments because like lifting the workflow definition up into Kubernetes separates those workflows from the operational layer that is the compute and the and the and the processes that are that make up the kubernetes physical layer that's running the stuff and so that the, the the operations guys the as more workflows come it doesn't impact them they just need to make sure that the cluster is healthy mm. right so like if they need more worker nodes they know how to add a worker node but they have no idea about all the different workflows that are coming because they don't need to know it right so from a you know a velocity standpoint this is something the words that you know c level executives love to hear right once you get that it's there's a lot of synergy between those two groups but they're also like separated and they don't need to deal with each other anymore like like i always talk about like if, if if we put together something that other teams need and depend on and then they never have to talk to us again then we're doing it right Right? You just so don't like talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate goal of Kubernetes. You found me Leave out. Leave me alone. Man. You found me out. I mean, if I enable a team, like it, that was the coolest part when we first got this going was like coming in to that honeycomb spring admin and seeing 10 or 12 new octagons that weren't there yesterday and we didn't do anything because like all of a sudden the teams are starting to throw their stuff in there and it's just going right and then the next day there it would be twice as big there would be you know 50 octagons it was like holy shit so that was so cool for the listener who who may not know what the hell we're talking about (laughs) what is spring the second thing is i come from a background of much more entrepreneurship so a lot of hat wearing doing a lot of what what lance does and a lot of what the you know, from the, what engineering does to what DevOps does to what marketing and all that stuff. And so to me, I totally take advantage or, or take for granted of how amazing and impactful it is where you take a company that's been deploying stuff on their own hardware, like their own physical boxes for years and had to talk to a whole bunch of people in order to make that thing happen and plan it out and wait days to mm-hmm. like emails and- just get pushed done and going from like the startup ecosystem is a lot different than the enterprise, you know, 
publicly traded company ecosystem where a lot you you get a lot more people who I would say generally pay attention when things change. And so I totally take that for granted. So I so so mm-hmm. to me it's like yeah yeah duh like I just totally expect like yeah I should just be able to push and mm-hmm. go it's gone and the cloud and done and things magic. Is that a fair statement previously someone wanted to deploy something they would have to plan it out with a whole bunch of people and talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And- no, yeah. I mean and and not just where we work now. I mean it's I've been at multiple companies where the successful teams half their success yeah. was because someone knew all the right people uh, and they knew exactly who to talk to and, and when to reach out to them to get their stuff going. It's kind of a pillar thing where, Oh, I know I, I, I sit right next to all the DBAs, So databases yeah. are not a problem, you know, but, but the, the system guys are on the other floor. I don't know. It takes me forever to get the compute going, but like, you know, the, the people who knew how to pull those levers that they, they would go the fastest when that kind of pillar support yeah but if you flip it to a layered cake where the system guys don't even need to talk a couple layers up because all they need to do is make sure that the the the, the worker nodes are all working and stuff like that and the the systems get the, the, the workflow guys the, the the developers that are generating the workflows they, they don't need to talk all the way down to ask for compute so they just need to define their workflow and they know that it'll get working or it'll be implemented that's Damn the velocity that it, that the c level yeah is they gotta love for. like they want that to just go gangbusters right because you think that kubernetes was spawned out of google as a, as a project they used to deploy their own stuff you think that it was created to solve that sort of organizational problem that exec saw or do you think or do you think it was created to solve the i think that there's just certain companies that the the scale that they're at yeah. They have problems that Google scale. you have no idea what they have to deal with. And it was probably, you know, on top of, you know, being an A-list company, they can hire people who invent stuff, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Like, you know, I, I wrote JavaScript. Yeah. So, you know, th- those kind of people <laughs> get to go work, right? So they, on top yeah. of having the biggest problems in the world, they have that kind of talent and, and they probably, it was sink or swim. They had to come up with something that... Yeah would take care of these workflows automatically auto recover and it and it was abstracted from how you actually define the definition of the workflow so you get that team off your back while you scaled out to millions of, of, yeah. of workers or whatnot i've become a huge fan <laughs> and i would i'd watch you know there's youtube videos and I'm like okay so kubernetes like you deploy things in kubernetes and there there are these things called pods and they're like pods like dolphin pods and they swim together and i'm like what <laughs> What does this have to do with anything? I just need to get this thing deployed and like go to whatever.com and it goes there. And But I do run a bunch of personal Kubernetes clusters for fun and attempting for profit and and <laughs> not for profit, but attempting. <laughs> and the to me, the nicest thing, and this is for execs and noobs and five-year-olds, I guess, is a stretch, maybe 10-year-olds. <laughs> but like when I deploy something, and as long as I've set up the health checks and those surrounding uh, attributes properly, if it goes down, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to go to my laptop and log in and bring it back up. I can just trust that Kubernetes is going to recognize that it's down and it's going to try and bring it back up by by booting up a new yeah. version of it and killing off the one that's having issues. And to me, that's probably one of my favorite things. I, yeah. I And I think for the executive, it's like for... 
uptime and all that. If you have things that just so, start having issues, you don't have to worry about if someone's awake looking at them. They just kind of auto auto heal in right. a way. That's awesome. Yeah, it's all it's all that it's like it should f- feel very familiar to those old config management system teams. Like because it's you've defined the state that you want. And then Kubernetes will ensure that it remains in that state. And that includes a dynamic flow of yeah. web services and stuff like that. So Yeah, I want this thing to work. And then Kubernetes' and, and job is to say... Is to keep it in that state. It's working. It's, it's, it's not working. You still got to do a lot of work around it, right? It's yeah. not like... It's not just magical. You still got to know how to <laughs> define your workflows. And you can still yeah. define a bad workflow that... Oh, I've only totally. got one pod from my MySQL. I'm cool. That's good. You know, I'm not yeah. backing up the data, but yeah, that's cool. And then it restarts the pod. You're screwed, right? So yeah, and then your data but, goes away because you know, <laughs> volumes. You're like, what's a PVC? Yeah, exactly. So but it has all it has all the the play structures in the playground that you need. It's got the slide. It's got the way to bring it back. It's got the cushy. It's got the cushy stuff so you can follow. It brings on. up a new like, slide, and the yep. kids are happy. <laughs> so there you go, five year olds. If you can figure out how to listen to this podcast, first of some all, of them have ten slides or like two slides. Yeah. Some of them have like ten swings. Some of them only have four swings, yeah. and that sucks. But like one of the ones that have five swings, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And a swing is healthy if like the chain didn't break. But if the chain breaks, Kubernetes is like bring another <laughs> another one in and kill and get rid of the old one. And now we still. Of swings i you know what at first i was like yeah i know what a playground is but now it's like <laughs> wow this is a really good this makes a lot of sense to me i'm still new i'm still learning you know like <laughs> it's it, i think i jumped on it because of the idea of the, the, the kids are defining the workflow and it, it's it's going to be yeah. random every time like there's going to be all kids and, and a playground can still handle it no matter what right it's, it doesn't change the footprint of it or it's who knows what they're playing on the playground I don't even know what they're, I mean. It's the same with developers. <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are throwing out there. It's like, <laughs> I just know the cluster's healthy. Like You built a what? <laughs> One of the things I very much wanted to talk about with you mm-hmm. was Kubernetes is a hobby. And I have a bunch of theories, and I've shared this theory with a bunch of people. And some people tell me, you're an idiot. You're wrong. And some people are like, oh, I see your point. And some people are like, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And so as a hobby, my theory, hypothesis, whatever, and it's okay to be wrong. I mean, that's part of the scientific mm-hmm. process or whatever. I think anyone can write code because writing code is like making, it's like cooking food, except you don't need to buy any ingredients. You just need a computer and you just type and you get free ingredients and you put them together and you make a beautiful cake or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But there's certain barriers to entry. And I think Kubernetes has like a, a very, has a few of them. I think one of them I've experienced a lot of issues with like cost. Like if I want to deploy this mm-hmm. into one of the clouds and not build my own Kubernetes from scratch, you know, using Google or right. Amazon or Azure or DigitalOcean or uh, whatever is out there now, they're all mu- like like significant like four times the cost of running just a basic server. Mm-hmm. The second thing is complexity. Like how do I know what objects to spin up? Yeah. Load balancer and ingress and service and deployment and whatever. At first, those are all foreign language. So I'm just curious what you think. I think enough people don't know Kubernetes because the barrier to entry is so high, being it's complex and it's also expensive when compared to just general software, you know, building a website or building, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's a loaded question. What do you think? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. Like if if you want to make it easier, 
then someone else has to do it for you and that comes with cost so yeah. the control plane or like the the kubernetes services i don't know what i i only know my frame of reference is really just eks and it's like 150 bucks just to turn it on yeah it's cost a month, lot of money right and that's just one control plan it may be cheaper in other managed services one that's a very expensive pricing, hello like, world yeah exactly <laughs> um i mean minikube is fantastic for your local yeah laptop but like the whole if your workflow defines you know exporting it out and getting to like you know it's just the running it in amazon or in one of these clouds is where it becomes like really useful yeah like like prototyping is great on your laptop or whatever but if you wanted to run something you know perpetually then, then it's got to go in one of the clouds, right? And and that's where it's the the cost. Then then you're right. Then it kind of dumps over to one to two hundred dollars a month just to. The tough hobby. It. Yeah, I pay for a Kubernetes cluster. In fact, the, the cheapest one I figured out how to build was on Google. Actually, that's with their control plane. Yeah, or using theirs. I do have a load balancer. I think no, I do. I do. I tried to do it without a load balance. It just became a whole thing. And there's tons mm-hmm. of blog posts out there but none of mm-hmm. them seem to be like what anyone's doing where it's like <sighs> you just set up all these 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 ip addresses and this that and the other thing and so instead of the load balancer you have these ip addresses that you work with in ingresses and it gets very complicated very quickly but for someone who's just learning kubernetes it's like what yeah <laughs> that makes no sense i started playing around with this too i wanted to try and honestly host minecraft servers for my oh, kids yeah. so that they would yeah. pay for it and, and, and i still couldn't get it down to too cheap but I, what i did focus on the uh, canonical guys who i believe do have a lot of the most the of the guys yeah they have yeah. a big presence in the community in the Kubernetes community they have micro kds and that's a single node but it's got everything it's got a worker and a control plane and it's clusterable and it's a full-fledged kubernetes but it was still even after playing with it for years, it was still complicated. It was still really complicated mm. to like get it to move from a mini cube. Like it's just all going to work on your laptop or an instance yeah. to a full fledged. Okay. Now I want you to spin up ELBs when I create a service object in Amazon, you, you mm. have to, it was, but that, that was where I figured I could get it as cheap as possible and still be able to expand it to a, a pretty functional cluster so it was just basically you could get it down to as much as uh, your smallest spot instance that you could you could run it on Hmm. there's so many different ways of running it too it's it's pretty crazy because there's there's minikube is is a virtual machine that you run and then it runs everything inside the the vm whereas there's a bunch of other ones that are like well let's get rid of that layer and since you already have to have a docker daemon or cert or you know container daemon um just run everything as doc as docker containers Uh, i think it's k3d by the rancher guys there's a bunch of them like that there's there's i forget the other one kind is another one that's just just all containers kubernetes in docker right that's what sounds yeah yeah but i i don't know if those are full-fledged like can they still talk to the cloud like can they can they the Uh, cloud provider logic that's in kubernetes can they still do everything that a normal cluster can do, like create EBS volumes or spin up an ELB or whatever. I don't know if they can, whereas microcades can't. Like that is a full-on, There's, there's, there, it's an unadulterated Kubernetes stack. Once you get past this, like I, I just think there's a huge barrier to entry. And, and mm-hmm. 
at at work. I, I think we try and we're always trying to get better at this is to make it easier for developers to not even know how Kubernetes works, but to know the advantages. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's it. Like at work, we're going through something like this, but if you were to go from, I don't know, let's just say Amazon to Google or Amazon to Azure or whatever, you were to, let's say you need for some, something happens and like Amazon just disappears off the face of the earth. Like I, <laughs> I can't imagine that happening, but let's just hypothetically, Jeff Bezos is like, you know what? I got enough money. If I'm that happens, done. I don't think we're going to be too worried about the Java process running anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, <laughs> Anyways, like, but we'll probably see. Probably something to do with like aliens. Suspension disbelief. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, so Amazon disappears and we're like, okay, let's move to a different one. It's Kubernetes. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. It's just Kubernetes. I know how to run in Kubernetes. And if you can abstract that away as more so, so that developers don't have to learn another thing, I think to me that seems very powerful. Versus, I guess the alternate reality of imagine there's like this parallel universe, and every major company has their own cloud, and you have to use proprietary everything for yep. all your workflows. Or and and so you were to switch from one to another, that would take at least like forever, yep. right? And even even the, the the really successful systems that were taking care of that stuff, it's it, there's no way you would take a puppet module from one infrastructure to another and it would work. There's mm. just and same with Chef, same with they're kind Ansible, of tailored like, to the it, it, it's it's yeah it, it, is it, Terraform kind of like that too? Yeah, I mean the from provider to provider, you're gonna. You know, your modules aren't going to be the exact same no matter yeah. what yeah. down to the nomenclature. So yeah, you'll have mm. to rewrite it, but it would be a simpler transition to take like a AWS set of modules and switch it over to Google one, because it's a, right. just a thinner layer than back in the puppet and chef world where most likely the organic growth of the infrastructure and how people decided to call hosts or na- the naming convention that some guy came up with 20 years ago is now built into the code yeah. of your puppet logic or your chef logic or yeah just going back to the kubernetes as a hobby is i i would i would attribute it to why it might be and i don't know maybe i'm wrong more difficult to f- find Kubernetes experts than Java experts. I mean, Java has been around for so long. It's kind of unfair mm-hmm. to say Java, but maybe something, some other language or some other f- tool. I just think that a lot of these other, like a lot, just software in general is got a lower barrier to entry because you can just run on your laptop and you don't need, you know, a ton of experience with something that requires. Right. Hello worlds are usually pretty. Hello world's really quick easy to get to. Yeah. To get started and stuff. It's much more difficult. Hello world in Kubernetes. It takes a whole control plane before you can even start your. (laughs) Thanks for saving my thought there. That's that's where I was going. Yeah. Hello world with Kubernetes is much more difficult. And I would attribute that to being why I feel like it's got to be harder to hire people who are in Kubernetes. I mean, it's newer, but you can find DevOps people relatively easy. You can find software people relatively easy. But to finding an expert in Kubernetes, I feel like it's got to be much more difficult. And I, I believe that's because not a lot of people are doing that as a hobby. Yeah. It, but it, it, counter to that, though, it's interesting how much of it. I don't know. Maybe I've got the blinders on because that's mm. all I've wanted to do for the past like three years. But like <laughs> it's everywhere. 
and it's, it's everything yeah it's everything that everyone's talking about oh yeah so like it's there's a there's a it's an interesting we if were it's, if it's complicated too complicated to become a, a hobbyist or a hobby then how is it getting such penetrate it must be it's a good point that acceleration well, that all the c-level executives get to see they're like oh yeah you're I doing think, it i think you're you're 100 right i mean when we were at reinvent 2019 the last physical it, reinvent I mean, a month ago, I mean, like just even three months feels like 10 years ago, right? I know. 2019 reInvent, the one that we actually went to, mm -hmm. almost every single talk mentioned Kubernetes at least. Or containers, yeah, three totally, times. yeah. Or containers, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the number one way Service I meshes. Imagine, yeah, oh yeah. But I'm actually, I'd actually be interested. I wish there was a study or a poll or something that would say like, how did you, did you learn Kubernetes by teaching yourself or did you learn it because you were doing it at work? You know, like. I I would say ninety percent of what work. I know about Kubernetes is because of work. Yeah. The other ten percent was because I was curious. But I, no. I mean, the other thing that I think, and I don't, I don't since it started as an internal project at Google, I actually don't know the exact year that it it hit the public or that they they open sourced it. But like mm -hmm. the the whole OpenStack community had to have accelerated it as well because there was a lot of that generic automation of anything. I mean, they didn't have so for for OpenStack, there's there's a thing I think called Heat. It's very much like CloudFormations, but on top of OpenStack. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the right name. But anyway, so like that, so that wasn't there as early as like I think Kubernetes started from the from the get go. All you have is like here's your logical layer and here's your physical layer. So that's mm -hmm. that maybe that's why it took off. But like so OpenStack, the automation of the whole the compute and storage and making it very trivial to get to any of those resources helped I think a lot. With, mm -hmm. with adopting Kubernetes because that mindset of, of how trivial it was to get to those components kind of came out of that or it definitely fostered it quite a bit. But yeah, I, I don't know if I would have gotten to Kubernetes if it hadn't been a necessity at work. That's a good question. I don't think I would have. I have, I got a, a few friends that are very involved in Kubernetes, one of which will hopefully be a guest on the podcast mm -hmm. soon. Eric, if you're listening, I'm talking <laughs> to you. <laughs> uh, he runs a, a company where they help companies get up and running with Kubernetes and help take them from whatever they're doing now to Kubernetes and teaching people inside the company with Kubernetes and how to use it. So jumping ahead, there are a ton of different cloud providers that have Kubernetes. Which, which one's best well i have limited experience with all the different clouds i mean we've mm. used two of them ironically not the one who created it and that's it's it was just a natural gravity towards i mean let's face it amazon was literally a decade ahead of everyone right so that yeah. that that you know first to market just drew everyone and plus they really totally. accelerated so I think everyone's propensity to try that one first, even though Google started it. I don't know. Once the control plane is up, like I honestly could care less who's running it because because that's the beauty of it. You know, like the yeah when it's when it's working. I, the nuances you get, the complexity becomes when you start when you're in your infrastructure and your 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 workflow definition starts to manipulate stuff outside of the cluster. That's when it mm. gets interesting and, and starts to behave differently. Like when I create load balancers, it'll be different in Amazon or Google or ah, OCI, okay. or if I create storage, 
and get it attached to my workers. That's different in Amazon, different Azure, different Google, you know, and those are the real workflows, right? I've tried a bunch of them. The reason why I still use Google is because it's, it's the cheapest one I can figure out to get up and running <laughs> with. I don't know if I would recommend Google once you've got one more than one cluster though. I learned recently the hard way. Your first cluster with GCP is significantly discounted. I don't think they're charging you for the control plane, which is like $75 a month. Mm. Your second cluster, they just start charging you for it. And you're like, what? 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 In fact, <laughs> first one's free. Less, it has Tell all code. your friends. I know. It's like Google is <laughs> drug dealer, you know? But yeah, I don't know. Honestly, like I've tried DigitalOcean. I think it seems cool. I like that DigitalOcean is going after Amazon, but so is everybody really. Mm. I mean, Amazon is the 800 pound gorilla, the Goliath. Does DigitalOcean have a Kubernetes as a service? They do. It's relatively new. I tried it during their beta period. But it seems pretty <laughs> cool. It works. It's fairly inexpensive. But but they all do this thing where they're like, yeah, it's it's cheap. Like we start at ten dollars a month or whatever, and then you're like, okay, so you add like a node or two. So ideally, you would have two nodes because having one node isn't really that much better than one instance of something. I mean, besides the fact mm -hmm. that it'll auto you know, health check, but you can do health checks with um, mm -hmm. classic beanstalk. And then you spin up your service and it's like, well, in order to get to your service, you pretty much need a load balancer. You can try it with these other hacky ways with like, you know, I using IPs and, and configuring the DNS to whatever. Anyways. And next thing you know, you're like a minimum of $40 a month. And that's where it kind of, that's where I found actually Google for the first cluster to be cheaper than DigitalOcean, than Amazon and Azure. And I was very surprised. I know that when you add more, they get more expensive. But the one feature that I've just started playing with, and this leads into the next little topic, is mm -hmm. uh, something that Google has that's called preemptible nodes. I don't know anyone that else that has this. But what a preemptible node is, is a node that runs in Kubernetes that is insanely cheap, but they give you zero guarantee. They guarantee that it won't last 24 hours. It will recycle or whatever every 24 hours and maybe even sooner. Okay. But this thing has actually saved me with some of my side projects. So I run my side projects in Kubernetes because I think it's mm -hmm. a learning experience and I, you know, I've got tons of hair to pull out. And the one issue I keep running into is I don't have enough. I'm trying to keep the cluster as cheap as possible. I don't have mm -hmm. enough resource. So I deploy a new version and the new rep, the new version of this, the, this thing requires, you know, three replicas. Well, it can't spin up three replicas because there's no only, resource. Right. Because the way I have it set up is 30%. So one more comes up and then once it's healthy, it kills the old one. And then another one comes up. Well, it can't get to that point. So what I started experimenting with recently was this thing called preemptible nodes. And I mean, they're dirt cheap compared to what I'm paying for the other stuff. So they are basically solving that problem for me for a couple extra dollars a month instead of, you know, 10, $15 a month. I'm talking, you know, a couple dollars, uh, a new node will spin up and this, this, this extra resource helps that happen without preventing this new mm -hmm. version from being deployed. And I, I find it to be really interesting. I haven't found is any it, other. Is it, cause I know Amazon has, I think it supports hibernation now your node can go into a, like a hibernation mode where it's they actually charge you for hibernation. I don't know. I just have a, a vague, the whole preemptive <laughs> memory of hearing something about it was new to me. I was, I was like, 
researching and I was like, how can I, how can I make this whole thing cheaper? And someone was like, you can run an entire Kubernetes cluster on preemptible nodes. You just need enough to make sure they don't all don't go down at once. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, I could use it just to solve the problem I have. The other, I one I, interesting thing that I'm just now thinking of or like is, you know, if you have this workflow defined, I'm sure a lot of people when Kubernetes came along, I don't know, I, once again, I don't know the timeline or dates and stuff like that, but I kind of feel like Lambda was around very similar time frame or maybe even earlier like i'm sure there's a the lambda diehards who are like why the hell do i need a kubernetes cluster i've just got my function i've got my workflow definitions when the traffic comes the systems spin up the functions and when the functions are done they come down and like which is has a very similar feeling to me than the workflows that are in kubernetes other than it, it kubernetes is a more your workflows might tend to be longer lived than a lambda I don't remember if it was Pokemon Go or Lego, the Lego game. There's some game that built its server infrastructure on top of Lambdas. Uh-huh. They never once had to worry about scaling. They just, the more people use it, the more they just automatically get charged. You don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. And the, except, the re- except your things time out after 15 minutes. But... Right. If you don't have things that last more than 15 minutes long, it's a very interesting way to solve that problem. And I think it was in Pokemon Go. 2018, I mean, and this is even, you know, containers were really starting to explode and even mm-hmm. Kubernetes reinvent in 2018. They were talking about the, your three choices are, you know, they move from left to right and, and one side of it was just functions, right? Mm-hmm. It was all Lambda and it was just like, you don't have to worry about crap. And then there's like Fargate and then there was like, okay, roll your own. Like, I think those are the, something, like, I, they had a better, he had a way better, I mean, he was on stage in front of 50,000 people, he had a way better way of saying it, obviously, but it was like, what do you mean? it was there's like raw chiclets. <laughs> <laughs> it was like raw chiclets and then like, you know, your meal and then like, your, I don't know. They had, but they weren't talking about kubernetes or anything like that it was you know compute fargate and then yeah lambda like and those were the the three categories so it's interesting that like a year later it was all kubernetes and all containers yeah and 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 there are there are like lambda like things that so i wonder why lambda didn't didn't you know you know provide that need that now kubernetes is coming along and doing i guess it's because you can put kubernetes anywhere I think that's what people are scared. I'm yeah, scared you can put that. it anywhere. I Google is always like, you should use our cloud deploy, whatever the heck it's called. It's like their their like pipeline thing. And I'm like, I'm scared of that because if I want to, <laughs> if they're like, are we double our price? Or I I decide I hate Google a ton. Like I I have to rewrite all that. It's like, I don't want to do that. I'm lazy. <laughs> I want to be lazy. Let me be lazy. I don't want to redo stuff I've already done. We're kind of getting away from Kubernetes at this point, which is okay because. It's a lot of Kubernetes talk. I'm curious what your setup look like. What tools do you use? What do you rely on? What could you not live without? And, you know, tech-wise for what you do. Ooh, interesting. Well, Lens is definitely a very cool tool that bridges the gap between an expert and even just a novice learning it because they like the UI Mm. can help you learn all the objects as you navigate around, but you can jump right into kind of root root access mode or uh, the the terminal mode very easily. Helm, obviously, I mean, 
just managing charts and stuff like that. Mac, <laughs> all the tools are best on the Mac. I don't know. Visual Code, Visual Studio Code is is integral. Is that what you're using now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used Sublime for a long time, but with uh, the code spaces in GitHub, that was the final straw where I was like, mm. I'm going to try VS Code. And it's got all the same stuff and customizations and plugins I, and stuff I like that. The idea that you could just, you know, right. a new person that comes to your, your repo, not only could they get the code, but they could get their workspace immediately functional without any question is just... I'm not even a developer. I'm not even a developer, and that's compelling. I'm like, regardless of what computer they're on, to me, that is the win. Right. Yeah. I dual boot and everything, and like, oh, I want to go do write some code. Let me just reboot into Linux, or let me just open my Mac or whatever. Like, no, I can just, I can just, everything has VS Code. I can just do it. I love it. What else? Is there anything else that you couldn't live without or that you, you use every single day? I mean, you don't have to mention thing, the boring well, things. Well, obviously, our uh, you know chat and communicating with teams is is quite essential. You prefer chat versus email versus phone calls, video calls. Yeah, you no, like chat yeah. best. Yeah, I mean, email, and I've said this for years. Email is where collaboration goes to die. If you want something to stop happening, switch over to email, and that's your. It, it's 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 literally just how people complain. <laughs> and and how do I get a wider audience when I complain? That's all email is at this point. Maybe there's a little bit of cold calling, but those are the only last two use cases for email. In my opinion, I'm pretty cynical. If you couldn't tell, I yeah yeah an IDE and a terminal lenses lenses specifically for Kubernetes. It it is the best of both worlds. Like I said, you can yeah. go from a novice to an expert very so for anyone who hasn't used lens what is it it's i think it's an atom app that is it basically just turns a browser into a visualization of a cluster kubernetes cluster what i really like about it is that it will help manage your credentials for kubernetes like your what are they called what are the 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 files that have like the tokens and secrets and stuff. Yeah, so cube, you can cube, cube config. Files. Cube configs. Thank you. Your cube yep. config files. It'll help manage those so that you have one interface where you could just say, I want to go to this cluster. I want to go to that cluster. And then you can do all the stuff without having to, I don't know, type anything in, which is really nice. Yep. And, um, and it can drop you down to a terminal with yeah. that context. Yeah, that's that's been very, very easily, helpful. Very cool. When you're debugging something or when. I know visualizations and trees of objects are always it's much faster to learn that language when you can visualize it like that. Totally. I'm a very visual person, so 100% agree. I've only got two more topics for today, but first of all, let's cut to our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> so today's podcast, uh, I promised my boss I would would or wouldn't do this. Today's podcast is sponsored by Nuts. Eat your nuts. And Brondo. Have you watered your plants today? Brondo, the thirst mutilator. It's got electrolytes. <laughs> okay, if you guys haven't seen the movie Idiocracy, that's that's where the second one comes from. I think the first one I was I was literally eating almonds or pistachios or something when I was like, we need sponsors. All all real podcasts have sponsors. Welcome back. We're back from mm-hmm. <laughs> Our sponsors, thank you to our sponsors. We couldn't do it without you. What advice would you give to your younger self about what you do now? And what advice would you give to someone who's just joining the industry? Specifically to what you do now. With 
So I wouldn't be, I would, you know, don't be afraid of, don't just discount and think that it's containers. My workflow can't go in containers because it's, it's, Hmm. it's no more than just a different way of launching your process. Like, you know, containers, you know, with the whole Docker file and the layer, everyone Mm -hmm. thinks that it's a, it's a whole different beast with regards to your, but in the end, you're just getting to a point where your process is being executed exactly like you wanted it just Mm. in a different way. So don't discount, don't, don't shy away from that because you think your workflow is unique. I would say that to myself or to a noob or or, or, or someone that's just getting into it because like noob. I, I still think there's a lot of people who are like, oh, no, that's containers. No, not, my stuff doesn't go in containers. That doesn't make any sense. Whereas it's the process isolation. If you go to a box that is running a Docker dam with a bunch of processes that it's or containers that it's launched, you can do a PS and see them all. Like it, It's still just a process running on a mm. kernel. Which we've been doing for thirty years. So, I wonder if I if I have any. That's very good advice. It also gives a lot of insight. And then it, it just does so much for you that you can be lazy. I mean, you, you can you can focus on other stuff. You can focus on the stuff that really matters. Like you don't have to worry about okay, now do I need to learn all these ten different load that balancers? Is the we have goal, ten different right? ones, right? Like it's 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 lets you focus on and and that term is funny, right? Everyone laughs when you say that because you know. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's true, but it's like it's also the other antithesis of that saying is now I can focus on what's important. Exactly that that is that I think that's that the is, flip side of that. I think that's statement. the real the real meat the real juice. There is is I'm not being lazy just so I can kick my feet up and literally do right. nothing and just do, <laughs> just, just just dissolve into nothingness. But I want to be lazy so that I can do the. Th- Things that matter more to me. I've always told people my biggest fear in life is monotony, like doing the same thing over and over again, just, mm-hmm. just and not getting anywhere, just re- repetition of meaninglessness. And I think that's the same thing. Like that to me, that's the equivalent of like I want to be lazy about those things. Like yeah, it just it just works. It just I did yeah. it once. It's just it's done. And now I can do the cool stuff. Dropping an anchor. It's like get, like I no longer have that thing holding me back. Right. Yeah. Take off. Totally. Totally. So the 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 last real topic I've got is you're just gonna burn them all in in one podcast. This is just this is the type <laughs> of this document I wrote. It's called Episode One Topics. <laughs> um, just curious though, Kubernetes is supposed to solve the Docker orchestration and management issue, but deployment seems to be a barrier to entry as well. Now at work, we've built some tools internally that we may or may not open source that people are excited about the, the one that starts with the G and ends in DS. And then there's helm and then there's, there's, you know, I don't know, cube apply. And then there's, you know, GitHub actions and there's a million different ways to do it, right? You can do it from Jenkins. You can do it from whatever, but to me, one of the last, the sort of the, that last mile is very difficult for a lot of people and a lot of companies and a lot of, I've got Kubernetes running. Like, how do I make it just better to deploy to it? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or opinions. Well, Helm Helm is a really big step up. I mean, the whole, because it, I mean, what we ran into, you know, with the whole, any particular environment, once you really start cooking with gas, is not just one cluster anymore, right? So your your number of clusters can quickly. Yeah explode and get out of control then then it's a it's a it's a metadata management 
of like, you know, you, you've got this many to many relationship between services and where they're going and the contextual data that goes around it. So that's, I mean, we looked for shrink wrapped even before at the same time that, you know, the team was looking at crafting GDS and Mm -hmm. it was not easy. There was nothing off the shelf that would fix, that would work with just about any cluster. I mean, there's, there's, there's branded like implementations of clusters that come with like blueprint that is a common nomenclature that they use for this you can come up with a pattern and then we'll realize it, but it's usually, it usually comes with a big fat price tag and enterprise yeah. implementation. So I've tried a bunch of different gonna... things for my, my side projects, my personal stuff, the stuff I, it's mostly an excuse to learn stuff that, you know, I want to learn. I've been using customize with a K lately. Hmm. Uh, I've been using the various APIs that the cloud providers have. So I would have to check. I can't remember my, I've been using GitHub Actions actually to do a lot of the deployments, but I wasn't before. I was doing a million and one different things to try and do it. I was using like Git hooks. I put Git hooks together to make it happen so that you do Git push. And then after whatever scripts run to make sure stuff works, it does something. I've obviously done Helm, which is just a package manager for Kubernetes, similar to like NPM is for JavaScript or Maven is for Java. But the thing, you know, Going back to the very beginning, the holy grail to me was always that sort of drag and drop and deploy, like with PHP, like <laughs> that. I, I, I kid you not, if that did not exist, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd be where I am today because I wrote a lot of PHP when I was 11, 12 years old, and it was not. I did not even have to think about it, how to get it running in on the internet, like. Mm-hmm. You get some weird subdomain from some cheap host company, you know, that exists out there for like three dollars a month or whatever it was, and then you convince your parents, like, "Hey, I need a debit card because I need to buy web hosting." And they're like, "What? But what the hell is web hosting?" You yeah. do this thing, and you just like you, you select a bunch and you drag them over, and it's live, and it either works or it doesn't, and hopefully it works. I guess it's it it's contextually like what's the audience you're trying to make something easier for because. Mm all that stuff that you described or that you alluded to was probably simple for you, but the next guy, not simple at all. Like, so, so when you say, how do we make it easier? It's, it's, it's important to know exactly what's the 80% of the, the audience that we're trying to support. I still think today, and hopefully when Eric comes on the podcast, he'll talk about this where he thinks, like you should start, you should switch to Kubernetes. Eric's Eric's a really smart guy. In fact, he's the one that sort of helped convince me in some of the last companies I had started to that we should be using Docker. He was very early on in the Docker nice. Docker days, and and he was like, "There's going to be a learning curve, but once you get past that, it's going to dramatically help with yeah. the problems you're you're explaining." That you're having and i think for making it e- the deployment easier for people i think that it's 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 you get to that point once you're out like once you've outgrown part of heroku or once you've outgrown like a couple people te- I, I don't think kubernetes yeah. necessarily makes sense unless you already have the experience if you're just a few people and you're a small startup but if you're an enterprise, I think it makes a tremendous amount of sense. If you're a company that that values like I've always I've always been a big fan of like at the end of the day you go home and like you don't have to you know go home you don't right. have to go anywhere. But 
you 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 walk out of you close your laptop right Mm -hmm. and then you don't have to worry about is my thing still running is it still up i think like once you get to a point where that really matters a lot that's also a good point to start using kubernetes when should i start using kubernetes you know when should the company start using kubernetes if you're a big enterprise, you're not using Kubernetes and you're doing everything manually and by hand and everything. And, and you got to talk to a whole bunch of people like that just seems like a waste. Yeah. I mean, there, there's an inflection point of like the adoption of new technology where you, you, you finally get over that hump where you feel like it's, it's my, I can hire every, like, like that technology is really easy to hire with hire for like everyone's going to be in that i know there, there's a weird moment where boom it just pops over and everyone's like since since it's pervasive and everywhere yeah. then if i choose that then i'm not gonna have any problems getting people to come support it and expand it it's and it's hard to know when that moment happens or like when it goes the wrong way <laughs> like if you've chosen something that no one wants to use anymore like i don't know it's but <laughs> yeah making it's, it easier it's, you either have to increase your education and outreach which i've been talking about that developer relations thing for devops specifically for a long time yeah or you just have to remove all those anchors so that they just don't have to worry about it so it's it's either good education and good communication or it's just something they'd never really have to worry about it's abstracted away just to sort of wrap up here you'll go through this point of time where you realize i want to be lazy and i've been doing i'm sweating too much doing all this manual work to get this stuff deployed and to maintain it and to run it and i think you'll eventually come to this that that tipping point and now if we switch to kubernetes it's gonna be a big pain in the butt at the beginning and there's gonna be a learning curve and it's gonna be difficult but then it will just become sort of the the status quo and i can become lazy again and I know I can trust that if this thing is healthy, this service is unhealthy, if X, Y, and Z are apparent or not apparent, then restart it and bring it back up. Then you can start to become lazy again. Commit to production has been occurring. It's not as, you know, it's, it's not as pervasive, but like it's well before Kubernetes. So people are, yes. can easily say, well, you know, that's, I've solved all that stuff, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's the interesting thing is, is they're probably locked into one particular on-prem infrastructure or one particular cloud. And, you know, the hybrid cloud that everyone talks about has been talking about for decades, right? Just is almost as elusive as commit to production, right? Cause yeah. it's, they say they're hybrid, but they're like, yeah, it's, you know, the real stuff runs here. And then we did it again over here, but like, does that mean we're hybrid? No, but like, whereas Kubernetes can really, I feel like we're turning into a commercial here, but really can become cloud agnostic, <laughs> yeah. right? Because because that's that that's that. So maybe that's another reason why companies are pushing that way because you know the ubiquity of the clouds and the the maturity of the clouds. It, it, there's much less trepidation at this point to to put workflows anywhere. But now there's the, okay, well, am I going to vendor lock here? Am I going to vendor lock here? Am I vendor lock here? And mm-hmm. Kubernetes kind of washes that away. So maybe that's another reason why it's taken off. Yeah. Well, this was fun. Episode one. I don't know if this is too long, if this is too short. Uh, thanks, Lance. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. There will be much more. If this was too confusing, if you were, if you wanted more elaboration on certain topics or, or, or less elaboration, just let us know. I mean, this is... This is not the first podcast I've done. This is also not the first podcast Lance has done, but we're, we're, we're doing this for you. I mean, we're doing this for the noob. We're doing this for the, not to call you a noob, but we're doing this for the, <laughs> we're doing this for the listener. Also, just an excuse. And hopefully it's not the last.
Yeah, well, it won't be the last, but it's also just an excuse to drink beer and talk about stuff that's, you know, tech stuff. Thanks, Matt, for putting this together. It's, it's fun stuff. Yeah, so far, so good. Let's do it more. Cool. All right, thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next time. I don't know when that will be, but it will be next time. You'll know when you know. See ya.